Welcome to Being in Practice. I'm Erin Davis. I use they, them pronouns. I'm a therapist. I'm Danny Dwyer-Willingham. I use they, she pronouns, and I'm a quantum somatic coach. And we're a couple of queer, neurodivergent, multi-passionates here to get curious and unpack elements of collective and individual experiences through our intuitive, trauma-informed lenses. We're both practitioners and people in our own constant discovery, here to provide education, entertainment, and exploration on the practice of being as messy and as multidimensional as it can be. Let's Let's be in practice practice together. together. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Back to Being in Practice. (laughs) This is not our first episode. Um, No. We are very excited. Danny and I are really excited to be introducing today our guest, Carly Coffey. We are going to be talking about sex today, one of my favorite topics. Definitely. That's why we're including it. Um, Just a little bit about Carly. She is um, a friend of mine and she is here bringing her expertise from a therapist perspective. Carly owns her own practice. What's it? KC Therapy, correct? KC Counseling Services. Services. Um, She's also a massage therapist, um, practicing massage therapy for 18 years. That's so long. I can't even imagine doing something for that long. You're also a retired stripper, and you are also a part of our beautiful rainbow queer poly community. We love that. Yep. Yeah. So welcome to our show. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm stoked. Definitely. We're so glad you're here. (laughs) Excited for this. Um, Is there anything else you want the audience to know about yourself, Carly? No. I mean, I think you guys got most of it. I've just kind of taken on like a a holistic approach to healing. So massage, the mind, Mm. sex, dancing, not that there's sex in dancing, but you know, just embracing sexuality. Mm -hmm. Totally. Love that. Oh, also your pronouns are she, her, right? We do want to include all of our listeners. Part of the practice here. Absolutely. Being in practice is always doing that, being in practice. (laughs) So, Speaking of being in practice, will you tell us a little bit about how you got into dancing? What was that journey like for you? And then, I mean, I'm sure it's a a winding road, but then like what led you from dancing and sex work into massage therapy and then counseling and actual therapy? That feels like such a- Was that the right order? Was it the right order? Massage therapist first, right? Because that was 18. Oh, okay. And then and what then was dancing. and then was it dancing and then therapist? Yes. Yes. Okay. Okay. Yeah. How, let, let, let's hear about the order. There. We would love to just like, what's your origin story, Carly? Tell us everything. Oh man, <laughs> there's so much to it. Um, I always say I'm kind of like a, a late bloomer in most things. I grew up in a really rural part of Oregon. Um, very conservative. Uh, people usually just get married, have kids, and do that for their life. Um. And I kind of didn't do that. I left right away and um, moved to Colorado, just did coffee shop stuff because I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And I didn't want to spend money on an education that didn't go anywhere. So once I was there, I was involved in a community of athletes and ended up getting a massage. And I was like, whoa, this is really cool. Like, I like, I like the, the way this is like, adding to the journey of being a better athlete, not just like, oh, this feels good. 
And then I decided to move back to Oregon after about four or five years to go to massage school. So I went to East West um, College of mm. Healing Arts here in Portland. And then I started practicing massage. Um, I did that for, I'm still doing it, just very, I'm very small amount. And then from there, I, I knew that I couldn't do massage forever. So I knew I wanted to go back and get my master's degree. Um, I had went to a college in Eastern Oregon and got my bachelor's while I was doing massage. So I went and got my master's and then got into counseling. Dancing was something I was in the sex work industry um, through Instagram, OnlyFans, that type of thing. And, you know, for me, it started as like an expression for myself, always struggling, you know, as a human in our society and culture with pressure to look and be a certain way and really trying to push the boundaries of like what it means to show up in your sexuality. From a very young age, I had parents who were very conservative and they would you know, my mom would be one that'd be like, that's not very ladylike, prim and proper, um, which is why I have ladylike on my knuckles. Because <laughs> don't <awesome>. like that. <laughs> um, but yeah, so then I just got in, I just kind of went down that road of um, sex work, never full service sex work, just, you know, dancing and a lot of photography stuff. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that's kind of how it happened hmm so cool so many different things there but they do seem I mean would you do you feel like or how do you feel like those intersect or complement oh man there's tons of it that complement each other so you know for instance when you're in a club it's not always uh, a situation where people are going to just look and Google at women. Like you get a lot of clientele that are there for different reasons. People mm -hmm. that are lonely, people that uh, don't have much human contact in their life. So you may have people that become your regulars that buy three dances from you or a set of dances and you go into the private room and you sit and talk um, yeah. and you're just wow. there to be a form of companionship. There's a lot of stigma around what goes on in strip clubs. And, you know, I kind of approached using counseling and just the experience of working on bodies mm -hmm. going into dancing was very much like getting to teach consent, getting to teach, you know, like if you're going to do this, this is what you pay and it being transactional. And I think that's been the best part of it is teaching, you know, heteronormative men what consent looks like and what's okay and not okay. Mm, that's a really that's really cool and it, I yeah I love hearing that and I'm, I'm glad you could share that I think and that brings us into like I mean consent is so huge obviously yeah. like with what you're talking about you you do or mm -hmm. retired from doing but also obviously in sex and I think this mm -hmm. might be a good time too to like define yeah. what sex is sex at least at the start we have to say that sex is only sex when it is consensual absolutely and the the yeah. term non-consensual sex should not exist it's a, it's a fallacy in our vocabulary right. in my opinion right. and I think in our opinion here collectively absolutely so that's the start of defining sex but I think I don't know who wants to define sex in this little <laughs> tripod here I have a pretty oh, yeah. I have a pretty strong opinion. 
Yeah, I mean, we can start there. And we were also just talking about, you know, before we started recording sex and, and so much of what we want to bring into this conversation is breaking free of shame in mm. all types of sex and sex work and the practice of reclaiming pleasure as like a core element of what sex is. Because yes. in yes. this culture that we live in, in Western society, as people who grew up with religious repression, like mm -hmm. pleasure and sex do not go together. Mm -hmm. And especially like, I mean, or it's what, just left out it, or left out or, or you're shamed for it. Like sex, yeah. sh sex should be for procreation. I mean, oh, we're God, all, we're all gay here. So like <laughs> in the queer rainbow, yes, we're all queer. And I mean, our listeners, you know, are going to be on all, on all spectrum of straight and queer and all the things, but I do believe that everyone deserves to experience pleasure and sex and deserves to experience shame-free sex, most yeah. of all. Yes, and shame-free sexual experiences, which I think sex workers provide such a valuable service to people who like uh, need, that, yeah, right? absolutely. Like modeling consent, modeling what pleasure and receiving and giving can look like in healthy and consensual ways is... Yeah. I think the and foundation the no shame aspect, too. absolutely, like, like all of that. I think that's a foundation that I know I was certainly missing in my life and in my start of my sexual journey mm -hmm. and like growth that I'm still growing in at, you know, in my mid thirties, here we are still growing in sex. I mean, so we can pleasure. We, yes. So consensual, <laughs> we shouldn't have to say it, but we, here we are saying it because we're, I want everyone to know. And it for those who can't see us, we're holding up fingers. So like number one <laughs> is, is Saying without saying, consent. Consent. Pleasure is number two. Sex yeah. should feel good. If it doesn't, please stop. Reevaluate. Try something. Communicate. Different. Try. Talk. Try again. Oh, yeah, no, I'm saying reevaluate. <laughs> yeah. Try something different. Okay, so I actually was. I consider myself, in a past version of me, a sex educator. I I'd, I'd led um, sex education for. 10 to 17 year olds in really high levels of mental health care. Mm -hmm. um, and it was like my favorite group. We, we called it group therapy, but it was sex education mm -hmm. and I loved it. It was very holistic. So our definition in that mm. was basically any form of sexual touch. Um, even in the definition, I didn't create the curriculum, but I loved the curriculum. Um, it even included making out actually as sex. I kind of, I would tell the kids I kind of, disagreed with that one um but you know like it is a sexual form of touching i would mm -hmm. agree with that but like right so anal sex oral sex mutual masturbation mm -hmm. um any there's another yeah if yeah. there's another person in the room and there are genitals being stimulated or um erogenous zones being stimulated um mm -hmm. it was considered sex mm -hmm. in my definition so i don't know yeah. if anyone wants to add to that or if that feels holistic totally Absolutely. Carly, do you have any anything to add or like any different sort of perspective on that? Yeah, I think one of the things that is important too is, you know, especially in like looking at heteronormative sex, just some of the ways that it, I think especially on with women, um, it is sometimes an expectation, you know, you see it in marriages. I, I see that in couples I work with that, you know, I'm his wife. I have to do this. You know, it is my obligation. And I think it's really important to understand that we don't ever owe anybody anything in sex and being wow. able to um, not subscribe to obligatory sex. You know, if you're finding yourself feeling like, oh, I should do this, that is a good indicator to check in with yourself. 
Definitely. I feel like that is such a hard relearning process or can be. I think when, in the way that I was raised and I was married to a man, I was with him for 10 years and I loved him. And I realized on the other side of that relationship and then like fully embracing my queer identity that I had had for 15 years, basically, that I was having what I would think, what I would consider like almost entirely obligatory, perfunctory mm -hmm. sex, almost entirely. Wow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And like realizing that I was holding that in my body, like I still feel like I have sexual experiences and like programming to decouple and like remove from my system because I can feel myself reverting back into those like performative ways of moving through insects and I'm like mm. I don't want that anymore I don't claim this anymore it's not mine and also like moving that through my body has been harder than I thought it would be because I feel like totally. it was so in, in literally my cells <laughs> yeah mm -hmm. Definitely. I feel like what you're saying, Carl, like what you both are talking about, the obligatory, I'm not saying that word right, but you know what yeah. I'm saying, performative, all of that. It also, like when we were talking, going back a little bit, Carly, when you were talking about, um, when we were talking about pleasure, I think Carly, you were mm. saying something along the lines of, right, like it needs to feel good. I said that too, but the obligatory thing. And if when we, oh, when we don't teach kids or humans, however old they are, yes. that it should feel good. <laughs> I think that also, right, like the obligation stuff is there. Like that's still like a part of a lot of people's and current kids upbringing. And so mm -hmm. sex shouldn't, if they don't know sex should feel good or they're told it doesn't matter or any messaging around that. And there's like, okay, you also need to do it in a hetero, you know, this is how it's done. Yeah. Your husband and wife, oh. you you know, rape essentially doesn't exist. Sexual assault right. doesn't exist. And in, ma in many cultures and in many like Christian sects, it still doesn't, which is no. terrifying. Mm -hmm. So then you don't even know, like there's so many, I feel like people out there, right? And this is the risk when we don't talk about pleasure and sex is that if you don't know it's supposed to feel good, there's so much, right? Like you're thinking maybe you're having mm -hmm. sex, maybe you're actually being assaulted, maybe you're actually even being raped. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. I just think it leaves so much like when we leave pleasure out, there's so much risk and then risk to people, to kids, to teens about what they're experiencing. Can you actually consent if you don't know that sex should feel good? That's what that just and brought up not. for me. Like I have a almost six year old, but and like teaching that, like the absence of an enthusiastic yes is a no. Yeah. Always, yeah. always. Yeah. And I think mm -hmm. that a lot of people are like, even the mez or like just going along with it, you know, whatever you want to call that. Like mm -hmm. if it's not explicitly consensual, mm -hmm. it is sexual abuse. And right. I think most people like that is a hard one to wrap your head around. For me, it was mm -hmm. being like, oh, most of my sex was sexual abuse because yeah. it wasn't really explicitly consensual. The other part to remember too is like with kids is we're taught, you know, especially from our parents, older generations, like now go give your grandma a hug, yes. you know? So like being able to say, even with hugs or touching, you see that in, in the clubs, like if a customer comes up and they just touch you without asking, I mean, simple hand on shoulder, you correct it. You know, mm -hmm. you, you cannot touch me. Like you are not allowed to touch me unless you ask, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think that's something that needs to be taught 
from a very young age that you are not obligated to hug anybody. You're not obligated to shake someone's hand. Like you literally ask to be touched. Always. Yeah. Always. We, we say like, would you like a hug, a high five, a handshake or a wave? And like, it can be all of those things or none of those things. And like, whatever their choices, we respect it. That did bring up a question for me though, Carly, for you, when you went into like dancing and club work, was that something that felt natural for you to like, did you feel like you were able to say those things and like explicitly, you know, as you said, correct somebody if they were, if they were non-consensually touching you, or is that something you feel like you had to like grow into and learn? Like, what was that process like for you? What's so interesting about this, um, you hear a lot from people that'll say, oh, you know, strippers are clearly people who have been abused or struggle with trauma and that's why they're in this line of work and da, 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 da. And it's like, I always like to correct that in the sense of like, some of us are in this line of work because of trauma so that we can stand up for it and take ownership of our own bodies and and basically take that back, take that power back. So when I went in, I really did feel like you know, you have your, your alias, your, your name in the club, and you get to like, basically create this persona of what did it, what is your brand? What are you selling? What are you, you know, how are you showing up in the club? And so for me, I just looked at like, I'm coming in here to take ownership and get to stand up for my own body, teach a lot of these people who don't know consent and don't know respect. And I think that is what gave me the oomph and being able to Mm -hmm. like say, Hey, don't touch me. You know, you don't get to do this. And even if you're at the, you know, you're dancing and someone's sitting at the rack and they aren't putting money, being able to say, you know, if you're going to sit here, you're going to have to be tipping. You can't Mm -hmm. just sit here and look. So it really is um, empowering. And, you know, it, it bothers me sometimes when people are like, Oh, I'm doing this to, I'm a dancer just to be empowered. I think that there's a lot of reasons to be a a dancer, you know, and empowerment is comes with the, with it, but also like, it's interesting because a lot of people look at sex workers as abused or coming from these traumatic places. And it's really the people who abuse us are those people, you know, it's the people not, um, honoring boundaries when they come in and they aren't they're they're treating you like you aren't human right like you're just a piece of meat and you're not there's like a lack of humanness mm-hmm. with with dancers mm-hmm. i think this will be i'm kind of I, I think we could i would like to get into like on this topic like what you would say the difference between sex work where the lines are between like sex work and sex, you know, you said, you know, most of your experience in the industry is with, or most of not all right, like is dancing and photography, but you know, I would love to hear from you, like along that line, like you're talking about how, right. Like people come in and maybe those are like the people who think dancers are just like abuse, trauma, broken people um, are probably the ones not treating dancers and, you know, club workers as people. So I'm, you know, and, and you're recognizing that it's a transactional thing that you're doing. I feel like that'd be like, an, that's an interesting, like, juxtaposition. Mm-hmm. So I'd like to define mm-hmm. it more a little bit. Right. Yeah. I think what's interesting too, is that, you know, when people come into the club, it that whole, that whole part of us, like not being human, right? Like mm-hmm. that part of it is getting to show up that 
to go like, you're looking at all these women and saying, you know, oh, these are women that have been traumatized and that's why they're, they're doing this work. And it's like, let's just zoom out and look at like how many women are actually traumatized. Most women have some (laughs) sort of, right? Every female usually can, can, whether it's being catcalled or whatever, like, so it's really just like, I, I look at that and go, these people are coming into a club scene to take back the power. And not to say that there, I mean, there is some, there are people, there's different tiers of sex work, you know, there are people that it, 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 that it, they are required to do this to survive, which is survival sex work. Mm-hmm. And then there's different, you know, different tiers of what kind of sex work you're doing. I, I know for me at the end, I would, I'm at the point where it's like, I have a career and there is an overlap that, you know, it, it starts to get kind of tricky as a, you know, you're a licensed professional counselor how does being a stripper kind of go into that and mm-hmm. and like where are the lines and the boundaries because it, portland's small if a client comes in one of my clients walks into the club i work at it's like you're already almost immediately in a dual relationship which mm-hmm. ethically is not okay right, right. so I kind of got to the point with dancing where it was like okay there's just too much risk that way and I'm doing okay. I don't want to take away from what other dancers could be making, giving space to more people to do their thing. I'm curious if you, or like how your experience and if your experience in dancing, how did that kind of play out in your sex life in general, or like in your perception of sex or in your experience of sex? I mean, I guess I would just like to start there. Like, what was that like for you? Like working in a club, like, do you feel like it expanded your definition of sex? Like, what was your journey like kind of wrapping your mind around sex and your body around sex working as a dancer for yourself? Oh man, huge. So, um, I actually went through like a full hysterectomy, oophorectomy and, it was insane the level of libido drop that came with that. My body's not producing estrogen. My body's not producing testosterone. So it definitely impacted me even being as sexual or I always identified very sexual and that went away. But dancing, what dancing did for it was it it put me back in my, intentionally putting myself in my sexuality. Mm. I mean, you're doing a performance, but there there is a chemistry you get with, with people and the energy exchange that's happening. Um, You know, my primary partner, like it added so much to our sex life. He came in as a regular. So like he was my regular and he's, when he came in, he spent money and he spent money on me and he spent money on other dancers. And that his embracing that in me and allowing me to be me really helped grow that relationship. You know, he's embraced my queerness. He's embraced my poly. He's embraced me being a dancer, like all of the things. So it really helped my sex life, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just brings I, it front and center. Yeah, I mean, it sound, it's like, and I am so, I'm like liberation on all levels for all people. And that mm-hmm. sounds like embracing like sexual liberation at a level that I think is hard for a lot of people to wrap their heads around to truly embrace and accept a multifaceted sexual experience of someone who both yeah. like works as a dancer is poly is queer mm-hmm. i feel like mm-hmm. just rap, like literally just sitting with that and holding those many identities is like again something that i think 
most people don't ever even think to hold and like mm-hmm. that that is possible and like that 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 is a part of what liberation looks like is like embracing and being who we truly are in sex and in ourselves and in our bodies as like feels best for us and well, what's interesting too about the the this partnership part of it too is that you know this is a cis white man mm-hmm. who um has really like had to relearn what's what right we're talking about like what is sex what's consent mm-hmm. and 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 because of that, the beginning of the relationship had trauma, right? Because he was still like acting in societal norms in a lot of ways. So what dancing did is it gave me this safe space to go, you can come into the club and I'll let you look at my body and I'll let you get a private dance where I get to set the rules and I feel protected, right? Like we have cameras, we have bouncers, like it's it's an it's an area that I really do feel more safe and being like, okay, let's do this. I know I can say no. And you're going to, you're going to listen compared to like, say our beginning of our relationship where, you know, no was like, come on, please, you know, that kind of stuff. So Mm -hmm. the, the club really gave a safe space for us to heal our relationship too. That is so cool. Such an interesting, it's like almost, I wish that everyone had like truly, I mean, we all deserve safe, safe sex in all the ways, like Mm -hmm. feeling safe, being safe, physically safe, all the things. But like, imagine if relationships got to rewire themselves inside of like a a truly safe sexual exploration. Like that's, Mm -hmm. that's a concept Mm -hmm. right there. (laughs) Yeah, it is. And it really did rewire our relationship. I think if I had not been dancing and had that space for us I don't think that that would have happened Mm. you know I just would have probably continued to feel kind of always a little like oh he's gonna push it you know whereas now like that doesn't he's to the point now like even at home if he's like you know rubbing my arm or something he'll be like is this okay and I'm just like wow man you've grown so much (laughs) I love that I feel like I I'm having to learn that because I was with men in relationships so much of my life. And now I'm not, not that like femme bodied people are like inherently more sensitive, but I think that there's another level of communication that comes with it. And Mm -hmm. I'm learning that even my like tingle touches, like I, I'm a very physical person and I love just like physical touches, like one of my ultimate like ways of connecting. But when I'm like tingling and my partner's like, that doesn't feel good for me right now. I'm like, oh, okay, I have to stop. And like, even when I want to like scratch their head and I'm like, and now I feel like I've even retrained myself to be like, are you in like a a head scratching mood or not? And like, starting with consent in those teeny tiny little ways, like even with someone you love is so like, Mm -hmm. can I hold your hand right now? Is it okay if I scratch your back? Like, Mm -hmm. would you like a massage? All of these like, kind of like micro consents Con- mm-hmm. consensualities I don't know how to say that like, small <laughs> consent, ways of yeah. asking for consent builds into what I feel like can become such a more expansive like whole body sex relationship because mm-hmm. that can continue through the whole experience and when something doesn't feel good we can stop and say you know what I would actually like you to do this or like actually I would like to switch this up completely or like I'm actually not into that right now and like would like mm-hmm. to stop which I feel like again as female socialized people, 
like stopping sex in the middle of sex was so stigmatized and so Definitely. like an absolute no-no like you don't stop there I, one of my least favorite terms in the world blue balls like oh god like, that the shame i received was like you're gonna give me blue balls and then it's like okay well then i'll keep going but it's yeah. like absolutely not never never again <laughs> i think i think it's interesting because you both have have and or are with men and i do not have this experience right i've had sex with two men once each time uh-huh and they were later in life like i mean i'm not old but like <laughs> i wasn't they were not my first sexual experiences um it's just so interesting to like because i know all of this it's because we're so socialized like right. i mean it's all like heteronormativity even like what you're talking about like i know all this stuff like as hearsay but it's interesting because i'm sitting here like reflecting and i'm like i i, a, I don't relate on an, on an experiential level <laughs> which so is totally fine <laughs> i have no idea how this is my reality <laughs> when i'm when i have the past i have conversion oh. therapy christian upbringing i don't know how oh, I'm here in this world but i am very just having mm -hmm. sex with people with vaginas so anyway mm -hmm. i'm having like hearing this and i'm like it's so interesting because i'm like i didn't have these experiences and i'm like reflecting as you're talking about like my formative sexual experiences mm -hmm. in like college and right and and after and with with women and like there would be times where maybe i wasn't as excited about it but i'm always excited about it. oh no it's like a different dynamic like you know it's important to say right like don't have sex if it feels like you should be and if it's not a hell yes it's a no mm -hmm. like all these things i am a hundred yes we put that out in the world i totally agree with for myself for my partner for everybody mm -hmm. and like I kind of always want to have sex with my partner. I mean, I'm the same way. <laughs> Even if I'm not in the mood when we're starting, I'm like, but I will get there because this is my favorite thing. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's I don't know if that's like something worth adding well, I, here. But like, I, I think I, that with sex with women too is like a totally different experience than men because I do think that like, I think not all the time, generalization here, but like definitely sex can look so different. Mm -hmm with women i feel like because i feel like most of the men i have been with it's just this this certain way you know and it's all about like we're gonna come and this is the the focus is the orgasm and mm -hmm. i think with women it, it that it's just not the same as that it looks mm -hmm. it's almost just more intimate mm -hmm. there's like more leeway it's more playful there's less pressure it's even when it's not a hell yes at the beginning like for me for instance it's like well we can also just see what happens yeah. like like i think that's what you're saying yeah. carly right? like it's just yeah, like totally just like inherent you know conditioned it's it's largely conditioned because i don't think this is true of all heterosexual right cis oh, totally. sex. but like it is a conditioned thing and most people i do think experience it a lot at some point um, yeah. where it's okay, if we start this, we're going somewhere and I better be ready to go there right. because it's not going to stop. The train won't stop at all or there won't be any, ex any exploration or chill time or like mm -hmm. playfulness. And I can't, you know, I can't speak for how it actually goes, but like, I, <laughs> right. that's what I'm hearing. And that's what I hear a lot. And so yeah. it's just, I, I agree. I think it is different with AFAB female mm -hmm. people. Yeah. Queer sex is a lot more like, 
I don't know. Let's see what happens. Like, like I, I really feel like too, it is, there is a lot of people growing and, and changing with all of this stuff too. Like, it's not just, mm -hmm. um, that it's going to be one way all the way, all the time. But like, I, I do think that, you know, heterosexual relationships, obviously there are probably a lot of amazing uh, people that are partnered and having great sex. So I think that the other part of it too is like, Danny, you said something about the blue balls. And it's like, I think that's part of it is there's this level of guilt of like, you have to, you have mm -hmm. to finish the, the job. And I mean, that is my experience. That doesn't mean it's everyone's mm -hmm. experience, but that has been my experience of like, I have to finish this job or else, man, he's in a lot of pain. Yeah. I think that calls into play now like this almost like auto power dynamic that happens in that is conditioned I think in societal heteronormative sex is like the man mm -hmm. is always the one who not always but like again in conditioning in the ways that we are taught about sex it is like the man gets the erection therefore he is like in control of the timing and the speed and the, all of the things. And there's this like inherent, like, and especially in religion, like the woman is of service to the man. And there's this like very like top down role and power dynamic that happens. And I think like it can happen, happen in any relationship. I'm certain it can happen in heteronormative sex relationships, but I feel like, like my partner and I are both non-binary and there is no power dynamic. We exist mm -hmm. out, we exist in, in I, oh my gosh, I'm going to say this right now for the first time. We are in an empowered dynamic. Excuse Ooh. me. <laughs> Never said that before. I love it. But it's like, instead of there being a power over dynamic, it's like, we are so in our own bodies and so in connection with each other. And like, there is such a fluidity that is able to happen. And mm. in that fluidity, there is so much freedom of expression and exploding what I was always conditioned to believe sex was or even could be. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's, that's so cool. such a powerful, yeah, powerful reclamation, especially as someone with like that. intense sexual trauma that started in childhood. Like I mean, to reclaim totally. that and rewire that for myself. I think it's also worth pointing out that like the three of us are well on our journeys of like healing. Mm -hmm. Like I've been in therapy for 11 years. I work with people who, yeah. you know, are in different phases of healing. You're both therapists. Yeah. And I think that like, it's worth talking about the fact that not everyone listening to this conversation will feel like they have the choice to mm -hmm. change things in their relationship. Cause I feel like there can be danger in, in yeah. questioning or in like disrupting power dynamics in sexual relationships. I also feel like it's like we have clearly neutralized, you know, mm -hmm. sex for ourselves and the fact that we can have this like very fluid and like shame open, shame-free open conversation, mm -hmm. yeah. which again, I feel like is it's a privilege. I, it's, it is. It does feel like a privilege. It mm -hmm. absolutely does. Again, for myself to feel like I've come so far to be able to talk about these things, like in I a free be clear, and open though, it's way. It's a privilege we worked for. We worked for. Absolutely. Yes. yes. I, it's not like I'm just sitting here because oh, my no. parents were super supportive <laughs> and religious. <laughs> supported yeah, me no. and got me through to this point like you prayed it I'm not saying way. it's not a privilege <laughs> but I just want to be right 
Like we, we have had the privilege to do the work to get to this point. This is we've had access yes. to the to yes. the venues that have supported us healing through sexual trauma mm -hmm. into mm -hmm. this empowered place where exactly. we can have this conversation, which I wish for everybody, and I hope totally. that everyone has access to the mental health care and to the physical support and to the you know holistic support, even like going to a dancer like you or Carly, you know, and being like mm -hmm. actually being like, I'm here to relearn things. Also, we just don't have to carry mm -hmm. this stuff around with us forever. There are ways to like relearn. And mm -hmm. I just want everyone to know that. Oh my God. <laughs> I want everyone. Yeah. I want everyone to have good sex if they yeah. want to be having good sex. And mm -hmm. something this, I don't know why, but what you're just talking about, like us talking about even being able to talk about sex shame free, mm. even brings up for me, like, I remember talking to the kids and I would often say in the group, you know, and they were kids, but I do think this applies even for maybe some of our listeners that like, if you can't even talk about sex with your partner that you're wanting to have sex with or do something sexual with, like maybe you should be reconsidering what you're wanting to do with that person until yeah. you're ready to have the conversation. Yeah. Right? Like if it's, if it's hard for you, for anyone to talk about, like even bringing it up with your partner, even thinking about talking with your friends about it, like therapy, a coach, someone that's like a professional, highly recommend, like that's a very safe place to start. But mm -hmm. it it's so important to be able to talk about it because if you can't, then you probably aren't. And mm -hmm. then I'm and then I'm concerned as a human who loves humans, who wants people to be having good sex and having good communication and having the best lives that they can, that like you're probably you're maybe not having good sex, maybe it's not or safe sex. Safe sex, maybe yeah. you're safe maybe you're not even communicating to the level that you could be or would ideally be mm -hmm. all these concerns coming up inside of me for all of the people they're listening and mm -hmm. that I love because yeah I want to just define safe sex in the way that I was using it because safe sex for me is of course like medically and physically safe sex like protection against you know STIs and things mm -hmm. like that and also safe means like for me as a somatic coach like to feel safe in a body during sex yeah. is sexual yeah. safety. If there's like a place and I, this is, I mean, I would encourage people to always listen to their intuition on this, but if there's mm -hmm. like a part of you that doesn't feel safe, like accessing a body part or like a type of yeah. sex, like listen to that, do work around. If you feel like it's something you do want to work towards, find support for that. And then like go as slowly and as safely as you need to. And, and, yeah. and also not all types of sex are ever going to be safe for everybody. Good point. Mm -hmm. Totally true. Also, as a chronically ill person, I realize that there's a lot of, you know, what I see in porn and things like that. There's a lot of like ways of having sex that like I can't have. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. when I'm having like a pain flare, you know, disabled people also deserve pleasurable sex. And totally. That there's just so many, again, like we've said this before, but there's so many ways, like you, the, even the way that you define sex is like, if making out is having sex or like, if any sort of eroticism mm -hmm. is having sex, then like, that's exciting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exciting and maybe scary. Exciting and could be overwhelming. Yeah. 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 Start where you are and start where you can. I also want to talk about on your note, Aaron, if you can't talk about these things with the person you want to be having sex with. I've had this experience of having so much shame and stigma around masturbation mm. that I just want to mm. break open as well, especially, and I've had 
I literally had somebody ask me this after they like found out that I was queer. They were like, but I'm not even like comfortable with my vulva. Like, I don't think I could, <laughs> I don't think I could touch another one. And I was like, yeah, like you kind of got to start with your own body. <laughs> if we can't safely and lovingly and even curiously touch ourselves, Mm-hmm. It's going to be really hard to do that authentically with another mm-hmm. body totally, or bodies. And I feel like that's, again, for anyone being like, where do I start? Start with yourself always. I mean, yeah. <laughs> look at it, touch it. Get a mirror. Yep. Yep. Well, those are amazing. Vaginas are beautiful. Like all of that. <laughs> so true. And if you have one, regardless of whatever gender you are, and that feels like tricky, light a candle, do whatever you got to do, get intimate with yourself. Yeah. Like that is, (laughs) that is fun. (laughs) Self-sex is amazing, but also like a really good place to start if, if a wider sex experience. And I mean, I think we need to include asexual people here too, because not everyone is sexual Mm -hmm. in nature. Um, Mm -hmm. And also like, I know solo sex feels a lot more accessible to people even on the ACE spectrum than partnered sex, mm-hmm. but it's a good place to start, you know, or can be. I mean, I love masturbation. I love talking about it. <laughs> I love doing yeah. it. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. You have to figure out what are your preferences? Like if someone says, Hey, what do you like? You have to, you know, look at like, what do I like? Yeah. You know, get to know yourself. What are your preferences? Mm-hmm. I'm curious, Carly, because I think, being in Portland, which like most of our listeners probably are not in Portland, but like, I think that moving to Portland eight years ago, I was like, oh, Portland's so poly. I didn't even really like know what that meant. So as a poly person, could you describe a little bit about what that is for you and also what your experience is in that world and and sexually and or otherwise? Yeah. So I think what, you know, it's funny because I think that being poly is to some degree, I would say it's like an identity, you know, like it is like looking back, you know, most of my life, I loved my people and I loved my people together. Um, And I, you know, people even like that I dated, I remained friends with and were part of my community. And so I think that for me, what it is, you know, my partner for number one, my partner has a penis, my primary partner that I'm gay. I'm I'm so gay. So like, I'm not, he's not going to be able to fill that part of my identity. Right. So it's, that's how the journey started for me was I, I want a girlfriend. I, that's part of my life, you know? And so I think that the other part of Polly is that I think some people hear that word and automatically think like, oh, these are just people looking for an excuse to have sex with a lot of people. Yeah. And I think that it's important to know that like you can be Polly and your other partners might not be sexual partners. They may be like a nesting partner. It mm-hmm. might be someone that, you know, is a different kind of romance for you, you know? So I think that that's what I love about Polly is that you're really opening up opportunity to get connections on a deeper level with the people that you want. Um, And everybody has a different capacity. Like I have a capacity for my primary and one other person and he's more monogamous. So like for him to date sometimes is like he went on a date not too long ago and it was challenging for him because that's not really his identity, Mm. you know? 
Mm-hmm. So you can also have a poly partner and a monogamous partner that are partnered. It's just mm-hmm. at the end of the day, you know, when I work with clients that are going into this avenue, I say it's all about agreements and agreements that can change at any time. You know, it's kind of like consent. You could be okay with it at one point and then another moment that consent doesn't follow you. You know, mm-hmm. you get to reestablish consent if it isn't working. Mm-hmm. Totally. That's really beautiful. Yeah, Aaron and I have talked a lot about this because I feel like I'm a pretty sexually monogamous person, but I am very poly intimate. Like I have a lot of like beautiful, like romantic, loving relationships in my life with like many people. I have like a non-sexual life partner that I literally build my life with. And then I have like my romantic partner and my mm-hmm. sexual partner realizing that in my heteronormative relationships, I always expected that partner to fulfill all of my needs in the spectrum of relationships outside of what I would have considered like typical friendships. Now I have such a beautiful overflowing like amount of love and community and different types of love that Mm -hmm. are so dynamic. And I think that's why destigmatizing poly, destigmatizing poly intimacy is Mm -hmm. something I love doing because yeah, it's so rich. It, yeah. And I think, again, it, like you said, it can look however you want it to. Like I have, no, I'm very clear for myself that at this point I am sexually monogamous and like that could change, but I'm also like very happy because I've defined that for myself right now. I think it's about getting to know ourselves to the point that we can then create community and lives and sexual and non-sexual relationships that reflect that, you know, and those values yeah. that we define it's for pretty, ourselves. It's I feel like it's so awesome too, because I look at the way my life is built and, you know, I was with a partner five or six years ago that was very controlling, you know, very insecure. And it, it, I have a 16 year old son and I am really close to his dad, you know, like we had a baby and we're married and it didn't work out romantically, but we have always been friends and that friendship like went on hold because of an insecure partner. And so I even look at like that dynamic of like, I, I have a nesting sexual partner, a girlfriend, and I'm like really close friends with my ex-husband and we raise a kid together. And all of those things automatically throw you into a non-traditional, you know, area of life. So I think that's something that I, I hope to normalize the people I'm in contact with is, you know, just because it didn't work out for whatever reason, you were drawn to that person for a reason, Mm -hmm. you know, why you can change the way a relationship looks. Absolutely. I feel the same way about my ex-husband. I mean, we clearly were not meant to be together, quote unquote, forever. We were together for a long time. I loved him deeply Mm. for lots of reasons. Our marriage didn't work, but we co-parent so beautifully together. We also had a therapist guide us through our separation and our divorce and now co-parenting and now reintegrating families as we're both repartnered. We're having guidance for that. And also like discovering on the other side, what friendship can look like with a person that you raise a human with. But again, I think this is also far outside of what I was certainly taught in like a Christian Southern Irish upbringing of like, what is possible for family? It's all so connected, I feel like, because the people that you choose to be in your life can be family, you know? Well, I think I'm drawing over here as listening to both of you, like the other parallel between sex and we're talking about relationships Mm -hmm. and types of relationships is that 
sexual as you know as we are sexual beings even for those of us who are asexual and you know there's maybe more choice or different feelings about that but like your both of your relationship dynamics have evolved and changed and fluctuated they are not concrete right Mm. um same goes for like i think sexuality like Mm -hmm. not even just sexual identity but sexuality our sexualness Mm -hmm. (laughs) in each of our bodies like that ebbs and flows like just like relationships do and i think you know to bring it not that we're off topic but like to bring it back even as what i'm drawing for parallels for sex like I remember as like a teenager, I was way more horny, even though I still love sex. Like, right. Like desire changes. We're going to go through menopause. You stop, you get your uterus ovaries taken out and your hormones change from that. Like, yeah. And trans people who have like such a different hormonal Mm -hmm. experience, you Mm -hmm. know? Yeah. And I also think we'd be remiss to not talk about, and I don't know if we want to get into it right now, but sexual trauma, like we haven't really touched on that topic. And I think, Mm -hmm. you know, we started at the beginning with consent, like consent is a, we shouldn't have to say that consensual sex is the only type of sex that there is, but sexual trauma, like can also change our relationship to sex, our relationship to our bodies. And, Mm -hmm. and, you know, we've talked a little bit about getting, you know, having support, having resources, if this is a challenging topic for any reason, including sexual trauma, um, that that support, of course, would be, I mean, I'm, I would recommend it as a therapist that you Mm -hmm. seek that out if you're experiencing challenges that you're not liking from something like that. But all of this to say, right, like we are constantly in flux and flow, including in how we are feeling about having sex. I mean, even month to month, right? I don't know. Like I have a period, yeah. unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Like. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it'll stop someday. It's fine. Um, but right, like even that, like we're talking about hormones and biochemicals and our opinions change and trauma happens. So. And, and I mean, as people who have had babies, like that mm. changes things too. Like, holy shit, does it change things? So for like birthing folks and all other kinds of folks, hormones are like such a femme, like projected yeah. situation, but like all bodies have hormones. Course, we yeah. all go through cycles and phases. And I think exactly. normalizing, that, normalizing that, I mean, I'm not going to say, especially for cis men, but like cis men unfairly have been pigeonholed into like having to be a certain type of way to have sex. There is so much stigma. I I feel like around the way that cis men show up or do not show up in in sex, like with erectile dysfunction and like, Mm. you're not man enough. And I'm like, let's fucking let's get rid of all of those things. Like Mm -hmm. if we could all just be ourselves in the ways that we are in in practice practice and in our relationships, like, can you imagine how free everybody could feel? But Just showing up authentically. And like, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, I mean, going back to the sexual trauma part, I think that it is important just to say no one has to do this alone. If you've experienced sexual trauma, you are not alone, first of all, and you do not deserve to have to like heal that on your own. It was not your fault, no matter what. And mm-hmm. you deserve mental support you deserve somatic support you deserve freedom from that experience and whatever you can do however you can access that like you deserve that mm-hmm. i will just say however because, long ago it was yeah not and it is valid it. and if you never told anybody 
or if you don't remember it, I think mm, that's something that's a lot of people don't, yeah. don't realize is that like dissociation that happens in disembodiment that happens during sex, like a lot of times leaves sexual victims, sexual abuse victims, like without memory of that experience. Mm -hmm. And I think understanding that, that that is still an experience, your body remembers it, whether you do mentally or not. And like, that is still valid for you to seek support around. Absolutely. And it wasn't sex. Totally. And it wasn't sex. Yes. I, I mean, we've already said it was that a, a it was a it was a no. An, you're not a saying that. I'm just yeah, adding absolutely. that like that yeah. could be. I mean, I don't know. It could be empowering to think about it that way too. Yeah. What you experienced mm -hmm. wasn't sex. Um, right. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It was I think... just in the realm, the sexual realm. Yeah. Yeah. We'll have resources. Yes. On our website available for support. I'm a therapist in Oregon that can serve you. I love mm -hmm. talking about sex. I've worked with people with sexual assault mysteries. Carly, Carly I, I can't speak for you. Is that something you work with? <laughs> yep. Yep. I very, yes. I had sexual trauma as a kid as well. And then again, mm -hmm. as a, you know, late teenager, almost 18. Mm -hmm. So I think that's the other part is like, there are so many people who don't feel like they can, you know, I know I came out with my story way late in life and there were people who were just like that didn't happen you know mm -hmm. and so a lot of people feel like scared mm -hmm. to come forward because a lot of victims do come forward and then they aren't believed or are not heard or seen and that makes it even more traumatic you know so right. being able to you know know that you're not alone if that is something you've experienced and I think the key is like really doing your best to reach out to someone that is a safe person to talk to. Would you say like going back really quick, then maybe like last little question here or one of the last mm -hmm. um, was, would you say like similar to like how it was empowering to feel safe in the clubs and it helped mm -hmm. your relationship and redefine that with your primary partner? Is that mm -hmm. something that also helped with your sexual, you know, trauma? trauma? Mm hmm. Absolutely. You know, because I think, again, it's gaining that power back, right? You get you get to tell people, you know, and there are people who are going to push that boundary. Mm -hmm. but you have your younger self that felt like especially I was also raised in a, you know, non denominational Pentecostal Christian church, you know, mm -hmm. so like purity culture full throttle. And mm -hmm. so being abused in purity culture and not feeling safe to talk about it. I think going into a club, every dancer will probably be able to say that someone always tries to push that envelope, right? Mm -hmm. Like if you're in a private dance, I go into a private dance and I say, okay, here are the rules. And I line out what my rules are. And if someone, you know, even slightly, you know, does not abide by those rules, then it's over. I keep your money and you leave. So being able to get that power back that we didn't have with our younger self is, I think that was healing for me. Mm -hmm. It's like, this is actually showing me to use that voice and, you know, show my younger self like that it's okay. Mm -hmm. And I think for us as parents too, I think getting to teach our kids that at least for me, starting so young with sex positivity and like, proper body part language and all of those things yeah. is like an empowering experience mm -hmm. I never got. And I feel like I'm healing my inner child and reparenting myself as I'm teaching my, you know, we haven't like talked about sex yet, but my kid absolutely knows like what consent is, what boundaries are, what like appropriate, you know, body part names mm -hmm. are all of those kinds of things. So if something ever did happen to them, like 
they would be able to talk about it, you know? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, kids need that. All kids need that. It's it's huge, man. It's so important. And, you know, like there, there's a couple of my friends that are dancers still that have kids and, and it's all about like, we don't ever want our children to suffer for our line of work. Right. Um, But it is, it, it is interesting because two things, creating that safe environment for your kid with sex positivity and proper anatomy, you know, all of that is so important. When my son was, I want to say he was like 14, he was just getting to that age, totally different for this generation with phones and computers. And we had such an open dialogue of like, we'd rather you can talk to us about anything. We'd rather you come to us than your friends for information. And he did like when he was like 14, he came in and he's like, I I need to talk to you about something. And I'm like, what's that bud? And he's like, I looked at porn, you know? And so then we had a conversation about what he's seen in porn, the expectations that it puts on people and really like explaining how it works so that that isn't something he, he totally buys into that this is how, what sex is and mm-hmm. only this. And then when, you know, the first time a stripper pole went up in my house, it was like, okay, let's have a conversation. And I let him ask questions. And because, you know, there is an age that your kid doesn't need to know yeah. what you're doing. Mm-hmm. But when your kid is old enough, you know, at that point, it's like, I want my kid to know who I am. And mm-hmm. I don't want him to carry a stigma around the thing that I'm trying to destigmatize. Totally. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I love that. That's so cool. And cool. I mean, it says a lot that he was able to talk to you about that too. Yeah. So good. That's, I mean, that's the foundation of safety. I feel like it goes back to that too, like creating the safe conversations, consent, mm-hmm. safe sex in all the ways is like, really what I feel like reprogramming sex for ourselves is all about and the empowerment piece too. Yeah. There's so much here. Sex is so we could keep talking for forever. I know it could go forever. (laughs) I love talking about sex. We'll have to, maybe we'll do a part two next season or something. Yeah. I mean, we probably could. I'm sure we'll keep talking about this in many ways over the course of all of the things we get to talk about. (laughs) Do you have anything that you'd like to say kind of as we wrap up Carly? I don't think so. I think the main takeaway is just like, I think the consent and that, that is like foundation, I think for everything, like we said, safety, and then also just making sure that you're educating yourself, search for more knowledge, less judgment, more curiosity. Mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah. Curiosity and sex is a big one. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. I feel like we ran the gamut today. I can't wait for everyone <laughs> to hear this. <laughs> yeah. And um, as we said, thanks for having me. Of, of course. course. Yes. And as we said, you know, there's going to be some resources on the website mm-hmm. if you want to talk more about sex. Yeah. Um, I'll have some like therapist profiles. My I'm available. Yeah. Um, but and even some books yeah. I think we'll have up there. So and look I out do, for that. I do somatic work with sexual trauma survivors as long as they also have a mental health practitioner that they're working with. Mm, cool. Yeah. And then we'll put Carly's information up on the website as well. So look yeah. out for that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Thanks. Thank you, Carly. It was great talking about sex with you. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for being on with Being in Practice. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.